Good morning. Can you all hear me? Okay, you're going to have to bear with me today, okay, because we've had a bit of man flu and baby man flu in the Rogers house, okay. So if my voice goes before the end of this, we'll have an extended time of ministry or something, all right? Let's see what happens, all right. But today we're continuing our sermon series in the book of John, um, looking at the life of Jesus and some of the claims he made about himself, all right? It's been great going through this book, hasn't it? Who's enjoyed it so far? Yeah, it's been really good. What's really interesting about the book of John, and one of the things that I love about it, is it was originally written as an evangelistic letter, okay? It was written in order to point people towards Jesus as the Messiah, all right? So it was written from Ephesus, potentially, um, to people who were Gentiles, so people who were non-Jews, and these people would have had very little knowledge about uh, the Jewish history and about the gods that the Jews worshipped, Okay, so this tells us that the book of John really was an evangelistic letter designed to make disciples straight to the point, straight up focusing on Jesus. All right, and that's why I love it. And as we heard last week, Bible scholars would say that the book of John can easily be split into four parts. Okay, the introduction, Jesus' signs, the book of glory, and finally, the epilogue. Okay, and that's important because today, the story that I'm going to be reading to you comes right at the very end of the second section. Okay, so it comes right at the very end of the signs section of the book. So after this story today, there's a gear change in the book of John. Okay, the story that I'm going to read to you starts a series of events which is going to lead to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Okay, so it's a very important story that we're going to read today. And the signs section of the book of John is important because this is Jesus demonstrating who he was and why he had come, okay? He was demonstrating the kingdom of God. He was emphasizing that by him being present, the kingdom of God was at hand. All right, check out this quote by Andrew Wilson, who's a theologian. It said, if you had asked Jesus to summarize the gospel of God, he would have said simply that the kingdom of God was at hand. If you'd asked him what to do about it, he would have told you to repent and believe the gospel. And if you had asked him what it meant, he would have showed you with his actions and told you story after story. Can you see the signs that Jesus displayed answered the question about why he had come. He had brought God's kingdom to earth. Heaven had invaded earth through Jesus. God had come to be with his people, and Jesus had demonstrated that with sign after sign and story after story. And you know what? That's what happens when the kingdom of God comes. People stand up and take notice. And let me tell you something, as Christians today, we can experience the kingdom of God as well. We can experience signs and wonders and spiritual gifts and healings and all of these things are displays of God's kingdom coming to earth. That's an exciting thing. We can experience that today. And we should be as excited about the kingdom of God as the people at Jesus' time would have been seeing this for the first time. That's just a bit of a challenge for you. All right, that's just an introduction. As you can tell, I'm pretty excited about this passage this morning, okay? If you've got your Bible, you might want to start turning to John chapter 11. Uh, The words are going to be on the screen behind me as usual, all right? There's a lot of text to get through here, so we're going to be jumping around a little bit, but let's start from verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. 
This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent this word to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, This illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to to Judea. Let's skip to verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them for the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And after uh, she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who'd been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept him from dying? Jesus, once more, was deeply moved. He came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been here for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face, and Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. That's a lot of text there, but it's important that we go through it all. Okay, let me just pray before we start. Lord, I thank you so much for this story, God. Lord, I thank you so much for what this tells us about you and your character. Lord, I pray that as we look into this in a bit more detail, would you really speak to our hearts today, God? Would you just give us a fresh revelation of who you are? And Lord, I pray that my voice survives for this talk. Amen. Okay. 
So it's important that we um, read all of that text because this text, this story, paints a wonderful picture of who Jesus is. But from this point on, I just want to focus on three different verses from this story in a bit of detail. Okay? So we're going to focus on verse 6, which says he stayed where he was two more days. I'm going to focus on verse 21, which says, If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And finally, I want to focus on verse 35, the very famous word, uh, verse, Jesus wept. And some of you might be thinking, okay, why are we only focusing on three verses? Well, don't worry. These are just key verses today, and these paint a picture of the whole story, okay? We will be referring, thank you so much, to others as well, but I just want to focus on what these verses say about Jesus. Okay, so let's start with verse 6. Let me ask you a question, all right? Have you ever asked this of someone? Have you ever said, why don't you just do something? Has anyone ever asked that question? Like, you've got a situation and you're waiting for someone or something to happen and no one seems to be doing anything about it. Like, people seem to be ignoring you. Has anyone experienced that before? Like, last year we spent what felt like most of the year trying to move house. Okay, and we experienced this massively during that, during that period. We had this frustrating time where no one seemed to know what was going on. So you would phone the estate agent and they'd have no idea because they're waiting for the solicitor. And then you'd phone the solicitor and they have, have no idea because they're waiting for the estate agent. And you're in the middle like, just someone tell me what's happening. Why don't you just do something? Like, you must have all done that, right? It's not just me. <laughs> Many times. Why don't you just do something? Well, today I want to ask you a similar question, all right? Have you ever said that to God? Have you ever said that to God? Maybe a difficult situation that you're waiting to see God break into. Maybe a healing, maybe an asylum case, maybe a relationship, maybe a friend or family member that you're waiting to see saved come to know Jesus. You've been praying for months and months and maybe even years and eventually you just give up and say, God, why don't you just do something? I've certainly done that a lot of times. And you know what? I can imagine Lazarus' sisters Martha and Mary sending this word to Jesus and hoping that he would intervene and save their brother. Hoping and trusting for a miracle in this situation. They probably had faith for a miracle in this situation and they knew that Jesus had the power to save their brother. They'd seen him travelling from place to place and opening blind eyes and casting out spirits. They knew Jesus could do something. So they sent an urgent word to him only for Jesus to wait. Like, he doesn't make any plans to go. He doesn't tell his disciples about it so they can prepare themselves. He doesn't do anything. He simply waits. And in that time, Mary and Martha watched their brother die. Only for Jesus to be there doing nothing about it. I mean, what? How frustrating is that? Jesus should have ran. He should have jumped onto a donkey or a camel or whatever the quickest animal was in those days and ran straight to that village, shouldn't he? He certainly shouldn't have waited for two days. What is all that about? Do you know what? If we didn't know the rest of the story, I think this would be a horrible end, wouldn't it? If we didn't know the rest of the story, this would be terrible. But the more we look at the story of Lazarus, one of the most amazing stories in the Bible, we realize that this story isn't about Lazarus at all. This is a story about Jesus. He's modeling something extraordinary here about himself. 
And do you know what? I think there's something massive here that we can learn about God's. I think the key thing here is about God's timing. See, as a society, we're all about getting things that we want instantly, aren't we? Like instant coffee, microwave meals, mobile banking. We can't even wait for TV series to come on once a week anymore, can we? We have to watch it all in one go on Netflix. See, if we have that ingrained in us in every other part of our life, then it's no wonder we treat God the same way. We want everything instantly from God. We, we can want all of our prayers answering straight away, exactly how we want them to be answered. And that can lead to frustration, can't it? We can pray lots of prayers for justice for peace in the world, for an end to poverty, for a breakthrough in our situations, and God can just seem to not answer us. And we see injustice, and we're like, God, why don't you just answer us? Why don't you just do something? <laughs> but Jubilee, let me tell you something. All right, God doesn't ignore us. God doesn't play games with us. No, no, we need to understand that his ways are not our ways. Look, not everything is going to be answered exactly how we want it to be. And not everything is going to be answered exactly when we want it to be. God says it himself in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. He said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Do you know what? That is a bit of a bombshell. But comfort can be brought from that. We may not understand why God doesn't just do something. It may seem frustrating. But God is God's. And we need to trust in his sovereignty. And we need to trust that his ways are higher than our ways, right? And this story is a real helpful reminder of that. But what exactly did Jesus do during this time, during these two days? Well, the passage doesn't actually say what Jesus did. It just says he stays where he was for two days. But we know enough about Jesus' character to take a good guess into what he was doing. All right. Check out this quote by Tom Wright, who's a, another theologian. He says, The time of waiting was vital, as so often Jesus needed to be in prayer exploring his father's will in that intimacy and union of which he often spoke. Only then would he act, not in the way that Martha and Mary had wanted him to, but in a manner beyond their wildest dreams. Do you know what? Jesus would have spent that two days, I'm sure, in prayer, seeking God's will. See, he knew that he was going to be displaying an amazing sign. He knew that he was going to be doing something which people would be talking about. He was going to be doing something which would go on and start that chain of events which would lead to his death. So he needed to seek God's will before doing that. That's real wisdom, isn't it? That's real wisdom. He was seeking his father's will. Do we do that enough? I don't know if I do. <laughs> What we see in the story as well, all right, is Jesus surprising people, don't we? We see Jesus overturning their expectations. Okay, he didn't go in there and save the day like people had expected him to. No, no, he waited for his father's timing 
and then did something even more special. Let me encourage you. If you're in that situation at the moment where you're asking God, why don't you just do something, then I want to encourage you today. Okay? Instead of moving further away from God, draw closer to him. Take the example of Jesus and seek your Father's will. Keep persevering. Keep bringing your prayers to God. He will answer in his timing. And his answer may well blow your mind. It might even be even better than you've ever imagined or dreamed it to be, all right? Draw close to him. All right, that's the first verse I want to look at. The second verse I want to look at today is verse 21. Okay, because when Jesus eventually does go to Bethany, this amazing scene is described where Martha comes running out to Jesus. You can imagine her tears in her eyes, mourning the death of her brother coming to Jesus saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother might not have died. Wow. <laughs> I, think, I think John, when writing this, he wants us to get the emotion of that scene. He wants us to get the emotion. That cry of, if only, God, you could have done something. He wants us to get how heartbreaking this scene is. Have you ever asked that question, by the way? If only things had been different. If only I hadn't failed that exam. If only I hadn't said those words. If only they hadn't left me. If only England hadn't conceded that goal in the World Cup semi-final. <laughs> Still hurting. Things would have been different. We get that sense of wanting to turn back the clock, don't we? We all want to be able to change things of the past. We all want to be like Martin McFly in Back to the Future. Uh, ignite guys, ask your parents, and change things up, okay? That can be our attitude. If only things were different. Let me tell you something, though. That very statement that Martha made points us to one of our biggest flaws in our walk with God. If only, God, you could have done something. She's speaking in the past. By looking back and wanting to turn back the clock, by saying, if only, then we're doing the same. We're living in the past. And Jesus gives Martha the perfect answer. As she's looking back in the past, Instead of looking back into her past with her and dreaming of what might have been, Jesus invites her to look into her future. Your brother will rise again, he says. And then once he points her to her future, he brings the future to this present time. Jesus is revealing something massive about himself here. This is a massive theological moment. Let me just explain. See, most Jews in that time would have believed in life after death. All right? They would have believed in a new heaven and a new earth. This is pointed out to them in passages such as Daniel 12, which talks about the end times and righteous people shining like stars. Other passages like Isaiah 65 and 66 speak about this new heaven and new earth. See, people would have believed in life after death. 
they would have believed in a beautiful new creation, a beautiful new heaven and a new earth with righteous people from the past being raised up. Martha would have understood that if Jesus spoke to her. And at that moment, it wouldn't have brought her much comfort, would it? Her response shows that. She kind of flatly responds to Jesus. I know that he's going to rise again at the last day. Cheers, Jesus. Thanks for that, mate. But there's an even greater message in this. See, Jesus has brought that future into the present time. Jesus declares that he is the resurrection and life. That's special. This is the point which was going to change the course of history. See, Jesus hadn't just come from heaven to earth, as we sometimes sing. He'd also come from God's future into our present, into the mess and brokenness of this world. And do you know what? Suddenly, resurrection isn't just a doctrine or a thing that we would believe from Scripture. It isn't a future idea But resurrection is a person. Resurrection is a person and his name is Jesus. And do you know what? He's standing right there in front of Martha in this story, making this huge claim and asking her to take that leap of faith and believe in him. What a moment. Do you know what? This is huge theological stuff, okay? It's important that we apply this to our lives, which we're going to do in a minute. But let me encourage you to discuss this stuff in your community groups over the coming weeks, okay? Discuss this idea of heaven coming to earth, of resurrection being here. Discuss it and really grapple with these ideas. It's important that we get these theological ideas, all right? But let me just apply this to us, okay? See, God's heaven coming to earth and everything Jesus had said about him being the resurrection, this requires a response from us in the same way that it required a response from Martha, we are called to the same response. Will we put our faith in Jesus? Will we put our faith in Jesus? No, if, like Martha, you're wrestling with that if only question in your mind today, if you're looking painfully at the things of the past, I really want to encourage you to put yourself in Martha's shoes. Run to Jesus and bring your problem to him. Share your pain with him. Share your hurt with him and ask him why he didn't intervene. And then be prepared for his response. As I've already said, it'll be a response that's unexpected. God can and will break into your present with all of its mess and grief with part of his glorious future, which brings hope, wholeness, healing, good news and good new possibilities. And the key to all of that is faith. So as as Paul Woodward used to say, guys, how is your faith? How is your faith? All right, we're holding up all right. The final verse I want to look at this morning This tells us something else of God's character. For me, it's a verse which brings great comfort. And it's probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible. All right. Officially the shortest verse in the whole Bible. Just two simple words make up John 11. Verse 35. 
Jesus wept. Two words. I read an interesting article on a Christian website, Desiring God, by one of its authors, John Bloom. And it started with this sentence which perfectly sums up this verse in the Bible. It says, the shortest verse in the Bible is John 11:35. Jesus wept. But for all its grammatical simplicity, it's packed with unfathomable complexity. And that is so true. This short verse can tell us so much about God and his character. The maker of the universe, the one who placed the stars in the sky, the one who has authority over all sickness, illness and spiritual forces, the one who was soon to conquer the grave, actually wept. Jesus showed human emotions and wept right there. And I find that fascinating, you know, because us men, we don't really do tears, do we? It's like one of the things that society tells us. Real men don't cry. In fact, the term man up means the exact opposite. It means pull yourself together and stop crying. But here we have the perfect picture of a man, Jesus, crying. Something's gone wrong there, right? (laughs) Why is that, though? Why did Jesus cry? Why did Jesus break down and weep? Well, there are a few reasons I'm going to unpack a few of them, all right? Uh, The first of these, I guess, was the cost of redemption. Jesus' crucifixion was just days away. It was nearly time for him to pay the greatest price for us. And you know what? It's completely understandable that this may have caught up with him in this moment and led him to tears. Jesus knew that him raising Lazarus from the dead would be amazing. It would be astonishing. It would look to everyone like a complete gift of grace. But what people wouldn't be seeing was the huge cost that this actually had. Jesus was going to suffer immensely in order for Lazarus and each one of us to have eternal freedom. A price was going to have to be paid and that was enough to drive Jesus to tears. I'm sure we can all understand that, right? The most horrific part wasn't even the crucifixion that he was going to have to suffer. I guess the most horrific part was that Jesus, uh, that he might have been dreading, was experiencing his father's wrath. His father's wrath that we deserve. That Jesus took on our behalf. See, Jesus, who knew no sin, had never done anything wrong, was about to become Lazarus' sin and the sin of all who would believe in him so that they would become the righteousness of God. It says that in 2 Corinthians 5, doesn't it? And that is in itself a perfect explanation for Jesus' tears. The cost of redemption. Why else did he weep? Well, this is amazing and there's so much we can learn from it. Jesus wept because he had compassion for Lazarus. He had compassion for him. Jesus was God and God has compassion for all that he has made. Jesus felt the pain of Lazarus. Jesus felt the pain of the family and the people in the area who were close to Lazarus. He felt compassion. And do you know what? As Christians, we're called to model Christ. All right? We're called to be example to others of Jesus. We're called to be Christ-like. And looking at this example, all right, modeling Jesus in this way, we're called to show compassion 
for other people. We're called to show this same compassion that Jesus showed. The suffering of other people, other people's sickness or injustice, it needs to lead us to a place of deep compassion. Jubilee, are we compassionate people? Are we marked out by our compassion? Would people look in at us and see us as compassionate people? On our 20th birthday last year, Jeremy brought a prophetic word about us being a, a compassionate people. It was one of the three C's that he brought, wasn't it? And I think there's something in that. I think that there's something deep within our DNA which needs to showcase compassion. In our conversations with others outside the church, when people tell us about the things that they're going through, we need to be moved by compassion. And then when we're moved by compassion, that should lead us to act. Compassion isn't just about feeling bad. It needs to lead us to act. It should lead to a physical response as well as, as, well as an emotional one. We should be moved to shine lights in a difficult situations because of our compassion. That's challenging. But are we compassionate people, Jubilee? All right, the final reason we can look at for Jesus weeping in this story, and for me, the most important one, I think. Jesus wept in this situation because he was fully human. Okay, so it's one of the great mysteries of God. People for years have struggled with different ways to explain this, but the fact remains that Jesus was fully God and fully human. All right? And this passage shows this human element of Jesus. He, he shows these human emotions. I mean, who wouldn't be moved emotionally in this situation? The drama of it, the tears, the sadness that was soon turned to joy. This story is packed full of emotion and Jesus being fully human. Fully understood that. And what does this tell us about God? It tells us that he can and that he does relate to us. God does relate to us. He is unlike any other God in any other organized religion because he isn't just up there looking down on us, watching us struggle alone, judging us. No, no. He came to earth as a human to experience the things that we experience to show that we can put our trust in him. Jubilee, God understands us. God understands us. That is a vital thing to get your head around. Once you realize that God can relate to your situation, then suddenly bringing your sorrows to Jesus becomes the natural thing because you know that he understands you. One of the errors that we can sometimes make as Christians is to keep things to ourselves, especially when we go through real difficulties because we either feel like it's one, too painful to let God into, or maybe, as we talked about earlier, we feel like God won't answer us. But Julie, I want to give you one final challenge this morning as we end. All right, if the band could come up, that would be great. Julie, my final challenge to you, all right, is to bring your cares to God. Bring your cares to God because Jesus can understand the things that you're going through. He weeps in the same way for the issues that we're facing. 
for the things that we're struggling with than he did for Lazarus. He's compassionate about the things that we're going through. Jesus cares. Have confidence to bring your sorrows, bring your fears, bring the areas that you're struggling with to Jesus. Guys, look at how this story ended. It ended with a glorious and shocking turn of events. Just when everyone was at their biggest time of despair, Jesus did something incredible. He blew their minds and did something that was beyond their wildest dreams. It's right there in verse 43. Jesus shouts, Lazarus, come out. Jesus actually raised him from the dead. You're not excited enough about that, all right? He actually raised him from the dead. That's incredible. And you know what? He can do even more than that in a situation that you're struggling with at the minute. He's he's overcome the grave, all right? So whatever you're suffering at the minute, whatever you're struggling with at the minute, and we're not playing this down, absolutely not. What we're saying is put trust in Jesus because he can do amazing things, all right? Look, we're going to end with a response, all right? If the ministry team could go out to the sides, that would be great. I want to end with a time of prayer, okay? Because I think it's really important is in the same way that the book of John has a gear change from this point, all right? I think our sermon series is going to have a gear change as well from this point, all right? But I don't want to move on with the book of John. don't want to move on with a story without addressing some of these things from today, okay? Look, if you've been carrying around uh, pain or anger or grief or unforgiveness or a burden, or if you've been seeking God for a situation and you've just not been hearing that answer, and that you've almost started to give up, now would be the perfect time to bring that to God. And I've asked the ministry team to go out because it's important sometimes to be prayed for. Right? Bringing these things to God can mean bringing it to someone else who can pray for you. All right, so I want to have time for responses. Just as a band sit and we sing one more song, if you've been struggling with an issue, I'd love you to go out and get prayer. All right? Go out and get prayer and don't leave today until you've brought this thing to God. Don't leave today until you've brought this thing to God, knowing that he can do amazing things in the same way that he raised Lazarus. Why don't we stand and I'm going to pray before we sing. You know, I thank you so much for this story. And I thank you so much for what these verses tell us about you and your character. Lord, we are so thankful that that we can trust you with our issues and our fears. We thank you that you're not just a God who's up there uh, watching us suffer, God, but you're a God who came as a human to experience what we experience so that you can put yourself in our shoes. What comfort there is in that, Lord. And God, I just want to pray today, would you help us to have the boldness and the confidence to bring our fears and our issues to you today, God? God, I pray that each and every person today would have the confidence and the boldness to come to you today, God. God, in the same way that Martha ran to you, God, I pray that today we would run to you. We'd be people who run to you and ask you to intervene in our situation. And God, would you prepare our hearts for you to do something amazing, for you to do immeasurably more than we could ever imagine in the same way that you did with Lazarus. Yeah, and God, I thank you so much that we can trust you. Pray would you continue to speak to us this morning. Amen.